Well, good morning, Two Rivers. It's me again, sorry. (laughs) Got a lot of me today. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to uh, the AMP, to Blend, to Roan County and Bearden as they're uh, tuning in with us and joining us. Give Give them a round of applause. Welcome them. Glad to be together on this December weekend moving toward Christmas. And so let me start with this question for you. When's the last time that your, your mind rested on this thought, or maybe you experienced this, like, hey, this is, this is as close to heaven as I'm going to get, I'm ever going to get, or, or this is heaven. This moment right now, this feels like heaven. Anybody have an, a thought or, or a, a memory of a moment where you, where you grasp that second or two where you thought, right now, in this second, in this moment, this just feels like heaven to me. Dave Groon told us last week when he thought about heaven, he thought, well, I, I can imagine heaven because what? I lived in Hawaii. A little brag moment, right? I lived in Hawaii, right? So he can, he can imagine heaven. And, and imagining heaven is what we're stirred up and called to do. If you could teleport to any place in the world right now, to that place and that space, maybe that conversation or that interaction you have with someone that you could go back to right now where you thought, in that moment, this felt a lot like heaven to me. Where would it be? I'm not asking for a raise of hands or anything, but I'll answer the question. I was thinking about this the other day, and I thought, when was that space or time? The first thing that came to mind was sitting with good friends of ours, lifelong friends. We're in a a little podunk town outside of Rome somewhere, a little cafe in Italy. I know, another brag moment, right? Another, just sitting there and having, I think dinner started at 7, and we just sat and ate and talked until well into 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock in the morning. And I remember saying to my friends that night, Man, I don't know if life gets any better than this. This is amazing. And for me, that was a a little taste of heaven is what it felt like. I saw a guy out in the foyer last week, and he was holding, new dad was holding a little little one, looked like less than two weeks old. And I said to him, dude, it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than that. And, And I think the reason why we have these moments and these tastes where we get to experience a little bit of life and joy and excitement, contentment, peace, fill in the blank on this side of, of, of glory is because God wants us to have a glimpse of what he's preparing for for the rest of our eternity. Because we can imagine heaven. On one hand, it's beyond our imagination. On another hand, he's saying, I want you to imagine. I want you to think about it. I want you to get excited about it. And the more you think about it, the more you get excited about it, the more you'll anticipate it, and the better life you'll have in the, in the here and now. Maybe when I ask you, hey, think about a time when you felt like everything was right in the world. Like, what, what was the closest thing to heaven? Maybe for you, it's having your entire family all around one table or at your home for like two or three hours. And here's, here's the catch. And everybody got along. <laughs> the laughter says your Thanksgiving is something you probably just survived, right? But, but heaven, perhaps, is a time when you're with all those people who you actually invited to your home, and there was no scrapping. Everybody just got along and enjoyed some time together. Or maybe for you, it's not even that dramatic or drastic. It's just that first 10 minutes at the end of the day when all the baths are done, the kids are down for the night, You're sitting in some chair or some space in your life and in your world, and nobody wants anything from you in that moment. No one's pulling or tugging at you. Perhaps for you, that's heaven. Those moments that we experience, those moments that we enjoy, those moments that we taste a piece of what we were longing for, actually do that. They, They cause us to long for the more. There's more our hearts yearn for. There's more our hearts long for. And when we taste it on this side of glory, it excites us. It starts to stir within us what, what a life and forever with Jesus will, will, will be all about. And this forever heaven, is, it awaits us. It's a place where we're all going to spend eternity with Christ for all of eternity, for all time. We're going to talk a little bit more about that this morning. 
And if we had moments on this side of glory, if we had moments on this earth that we've thought to ourselves, man, it doesn't get any better than this, how much more, if you can imagine, how much more will, will those moments feel and experience, be experienced on a resurrected earth as resurrected people with the resurrected Jesus? And, and that's what this series is stirring us up, calling us to think about, calling us to imagine a bit. This is the more we yearn for. It's the more our hearts want. When, when that moment ends, we're like, I wish it wasn't over because our hearts yearn for the more. There's this longing and this desire in every one of us that we want this to go on forever. Wayne Grudem says, heaven is the place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. Heaven is the place where God makes fully known his, his, his presence and his desire to bless us. In that space, in that time, in ways that we can imagine and in ways he's still calling us to imagine. And it's our desire as, we, as we're in this series called Christmas, as we're in this series called the next Christmas, the next Advent, that, that, that the chapters, the last couple chapters of Revelation will stir us up, will stir you up to actually anticipate all that God has in store for us, that longing for more that he's going to satisfy and meet and empower us and embolden us to live even more confidently and joyously in the here and now. And I've got to be honest with you, like many of you, I wish I could tell you, like, hey, I'm standing behind this, this lectern and I, I'm an expert on heaven. I'm, I'm starting to be. I want to be. I feel like when uh, Dave Grun talked about last week, he said, uh, I didn't know a whole lot about heaven, so I read the book. Remember he said the book by Randy Alcorn? And I bought that book, I don't know, it was a decade ago. I read the first chapter. Didn't change my life. <laughs> I only read the first chapter. So a month or so ago, I thought, I'm just not going to, it's a big book. It's a pretty big book. So a month or so ago, I found it on, on Audible. Terry must have downloaded it on our Audible account. So it was on a weekend. I started on a Friday. I plowed through 14, 15 hours of that in 1.5 times speed and heard the whole book. And I got to tell you, it's a great doctrinal foundation of what we're longing for, what, what still awaits us, what we're anticipating. And it's shocking to me and what was humbling to me, convicting even to me, is that I spent a whole lot of time thinking about the here and now, which is just a vapor, right? The here and now is a vapor. However long we have on the face of this earth is just a vapor compared to where I and you are going to be spending the rest of our entire eternity. And I've thought this much about it. And so what I'm excited about is in chapters 21 and 22, in this series, this month, the, the book itself, John's vision, calls us to think and to imagine even more about the day that's coming when Jesus returns and establishes a new heaven and a new earth as resurrected people. Talking about Christmas and the next Advent, we're talking about when Christ returns. And the next Christmas will bring a real place, living with other real people with the real Jesus. It's going to be a real place, living with other real people and with the real Jesus. Let's read as John gives us a further picture of heaven as he describes this fourth vision, this fourth and final vision. Remember the, the angel came to John? Last time I spoke, we talked about this same angel came to John and he brought seven bowls of wrath for all those who chose not to follow the lamb, who chose to follow Babylon, who chose to follow the way of the world, who chose to follow evil. And for those, those folks who did not choose Jesus, he brought seven bowls of wrath. The, seven angel, the seventh angel is now appearing again. And what he's saying to, to John in this vision, here's what awaits all those who've said yes to Jesus. Here's, here's what awaits all those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, who are, the, who are following the Lamb. In chapter 21, verse 9, starts off here. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. 
And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, on the west three gates, there we go. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations on them, and the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were, were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the fifth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopaz, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were, and on the twelve gates were twelve pearls, or they were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And then he goes on a little further. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And on the city, and the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of, the God, of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, nor will there be night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. John, in this vision, this angel gives John a vision of, of what's to come, of, of our forever life. And in this glimpse, in this vision of the new heaven, he says, heaven will be a real place. Heaven's going to be a real place. The heaven that exists right now is a real place where the resurrected Jesus is, and all those who've died and gone up, up in front of us, forward. All those who've died over history are still awaiting to, to return with Jesus when he comes back with Christ to make his new heaven and his new earth and resurrect all people, the, the dead and the alive, all those who are alive, into a place for eternity. John describes this forever heaven, and he says it's a city. It's a city. It's the new Jerusalem that's coming down, and he gives this picture of the city because the city is something, again, we can imagine. We can imagine a city. And while this vision is filled with symbolic imagery, Symbols point toward a real reality. Symbols point toward a, real, a reality. He goes on and continues in this revelation about our future with him on this resurrected earth in this resurrected place. And he says, it's going to be like the city. Now, we, we can have a picture of the city. Picture any city that you've ever been to. I remember years ago, I got to, I got to be on the, the, some waterway that, overlooking Hong Kong. And I remember standing there just blown away by the, the, the majestic presence of the compilation of structures across this waterway and its reflection on the waters multiplied and doubled its magnificence and its grandeur. It, it was phenomenal. I remember standing there for a little while just, just taking it in like I'll, I'll probably never be back in the space. This is amazing. And if I can be blown away, if we can be blown away by some picture or some image that we've seen as we think about a city, think about how how much more, how far greater the city that awaits us that God's preparing for us. 
John says a whole lot about this city in this vision. And I sure hope you'll spend some time this next week looking back through Revelation chapter 21 and into 22 and dig in a little bit there. This city is a place where the glory of God is present. We've seen it here in the text. He says that's where the glory of God's present. God's, God's presence will be made known in its fullness here in this city. And, and, and here in this city, we're given again a picture and a tie to the Old Testament. God's presence and God's glory are synonymous. Where God's presence is, there is his glory. All the fullness of who he is. All of God's glory is there in his presence. And he says it's going to be here in this city. Again, ties back. Our mind should be going. I, I remember these lines, these phrases, back to the glory of God. Where did the glory of God, where, where do we remember that appearing? Moses on, on Mount Sinai. Remember when he went up to Mount Sinai? And, and, he, and he met with God and says the glory of, of God actually in a cloud overcame the mountain. And God spoke to Moses in a profound way where God's fullness and his presence and his glory were known. Then later on, as the temple was built, we know the glory of God dwelt within the temple. Remember, the, the priests went in one time a year to make atonement for all the sins of the people. And, and after they had taken in the, the, the tablets that Moses had given them, after they'd taken those tablets in and taken them in and placed them in the Ark of the Covenant, it says the glory of God himself filled the temple. God's glory, God's presence was there. And Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48. We're going to give you some assignments this week. I hope you'll spend some time here. When you read Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, a lot of things are going to start clicking for you when you, when you compare it to what we've just read in Revelation chapter 21. And he says, the presence of God. Ezekiel was given this, this vision. He was taken up as well by an angel and given a vision of, of the new city, of this new place, and given very specific directions and, and, and calculations of how this city will, will be built. And he says in Ezekiel chapter 42, verse 15, just a snippet. Now when he finished measuring the interior of the temple area, he led me out of the gate that faced east and measured the temple area all around. He measured the east side with the measuring reed, 500 cubits by the measuring reed all around. He measured the north side, 500 cubits by the measuring reed all around. He measured the south side, 500 cubits by the measuring reed. He then measured to the west side and measured 500 cubits by the measuring reed. He measured it on all four sides. Is this clicking? It had a wall around it, 500 cubits long, 500 cubits broad, to make separation between the holy and the common. What, what, what vision Ezekiel was given of building the holy of holies, building the temple, was, was this cube, this 500 on every side. And here's the cool part. Now when we get to Revelation, it's magnified. It's, it's massive. This city itself is becoming the holy of holies. This city itself is now where the temple of God is, where God will dwell. In Revelation 21, 16, it says, The city lies four square. Click. Its length, the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. This new city on the new earth will be four square, just as the temple was four square. The temple that resided in the city will be the city itself. That's the new Jerusalem. And the measurement, he says, is 12,000 stadia. Here's the translation of 12,000 stadia. 12,000 stadia is 15,000 miles. 15,000 miles. This new city that's coming down is going to be 15,000 by 15,000 by 15,000 by 15,000 by 15,000. Is it symbolic? Yes, in the sense that that's where God is going to dwell in all of his fullness and his presence and his glory. That's symbolic for sure of what's going to take place in a very real way. Is it going to be a real cube that we're all going to live in? Some say yes. Some say no. Some say it's symbol. But here's the reality. It's going to be a real place 
where we're going to dwell with the resurrected Jesus for all of eternity. The exciting part about this is, is the same thing that Ezekiel says at the end of his vision is implied here in Revelation. At the end of Ezekiel's vision, he says, in the name of the city from that time on shall be, here's the name of the city, the Lord is there. A real place where the fullness of God will be and his glory will be felt and known. The city represents both a place and a people. I don't know if you've ever been to a city and seen no people. Have you? Most people move out of the cities because of what? The people, right? So when we think about cities, we think about people. There's, there's going to be people there in the city. It's a symbol that points to the reality of living with people and the people of God forever. Grant Osborne says it this way, In a very real sense, the new Jerusalem is both a place the saints will reside for eternity and a symbol for the people themselves, describing their future state as well as their future home. Take it in one more time. In a very real sense, the new Jerusalem is both a place the saints will reside for eternity and a symbol for people themselves describing their future state as well as their future home. And in John's vision, the angel says to him, I, I, I want to show you something. I want to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Again, when we think about the bride, that'll start clicking with us as New Testament people, right? He's giving us imagery. He's, he's causing us to think about things that we have an image for. Now, last time I spoke, a couple of you came and said, man, you were trashing your, your, your girls publicly. That's just not right. And so if you weren't here, here's what I told you. I thought when we had girls, they'd be sugar and spice and everything nice. Not so much. They were slobs. And I parented them in a way that was probably maybe not my best parenting moment, but I did it. Then later on, when they acted entitled, I was the one that stopped right in front of them. It's an opportunity to introduce them to the gospel. When they said they were deserving, I said, you deserve nothing. You deserve hell. And that's also true. Both things are true. Whether that was good or bad, you can decide. But I thought my daughters had a good illustration coming, don't you? Here's, the, here's, here's their day. I've had about maybe 10 moments in my life that I know that I know that I'll never forget. I will never forget. And two of those happened on both of my daughter's wedding days. When Megan and then Emily got married. And they spent the whole day primping and hanging out in some suite with their mom and their girlfriends, laughing and giggling and you know, curling irons and hairspray and makeup and all that, just going every which way but north, right? And yet, just before I had the privilege of walking both of my girls down the aisle, I was invited in to see them in all of their glory. And I got to tell you, it was a big step for us. Our girls never went to prom, never bought a fancy dress. So for them, you know, on their best day, they looked pretty, pretty sharp in a, in a really cool pair of jeans and a faded T-shirt. And I remember walking in those rooms and seeing each of them, beholding each of their glory, not, not just their beauty externally, but, but these little girls that I held in my arms who are now these beautiful brides in all their glory, just like I'm doing now. I came undone, wept like a baby. What a beautiful picture. So when, when we talk about the imagery of a bride, and John says, John's told by the angel, I, I want to give you a picture of the bride. I want to give you a picture of the lamb who's the bride of Christ. That's the picture that I conjure up for us. And we know who the bride is. The real people we'll be spending forever with are the church. It's the church. The bride is the church. We know this. We're the bride of Christ. This imagery is all throughout the scriptures. Back in Hosea, it's, it's the bride. In Ephesians, it's the bride. And he says, hey, even the best marriages, it's not about marriage, he's saying, but even the best marriages only point to the intimacy that Jesus longs to have with each and every one of us. They're only a symbol of what yet is still to come for every one of us. 
And I don't know about you, but when I thought about this, my first read of this, I got pretty excited. I thought, well, there's so many people, the bride of Christ, there's so many people in the church that I feel like I've not finished a conversation with. I wish there was more time that we could just sit and linger and have the end of that conversation. There's so many people I feel like that there's, there's things unsaid still that would be fun to enjoy and fun to explore. But then it started to dawn on me, and, and, and just excuse my dark heart for a second, I do love what I do, but when it dawned on me that that's eternity with church people, I got a little spooked. <laughs> church people. Like, if you read it, that's what it says. We're going to be spent all of eternity with church people. And I love church people. I love lots of church people. There's some church people don't love me too much. <laughs> And I have to deal with me on the other side of glory. And yet, that, that's the reality that we're called to. We're going we're to be living out life with other people, other real people, other real people. And I don't know if you have people in your life. I have a handful of folks in my life where things just aren't right. They're not right. And uh, I, I wish they would be. I, 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 I'd hope they would be. And yet, the truth is, as far as it's dependent upon me to live at peace with all people, I think I've done all I know to do for right now, and yet there's still more. There's still more that God longs for us to see. God longs for us to experience with each other. And again, we're challenged to imagine this resurrected earth with resurrected people. We, we can do this. We, we can actually imagine it because there are relationships that we've had that have been restored. I hope you know that. I hope you've had some relationships in your life that, you know, for a while they weren't talking to you and you weren't talking to them and now you're friends again or there's a connection or in your family. Someone showed up at Thanksgiving this year, hadn't been there in five years. And the hope for some of us is that they'll come next year, right? We, we can imagine. We can imagine restored relationships. It's not that far off, and yet here's where it's going to take a bit more imagination for us. And this is where it's taking a little bit more imagination for me. Can you imagine a place where there's no issues? No issues. Can you imagine being with other church people, no drama? None. Like none. Nothing unspoken. Nothing like, no, they're, they're, I think they're, they gave me that wink. There's a, there's a grudge there. Something's going on. Nothing there. No issues. No drama. Can you imagine that? I think we can because we have moments like that, but that's what heaven's going to be like. Imagine no drama, no issues, no offending somebody, no being offended by somebody, no sitting on the other side of the room and hope they don't sit next to you. No, none of that. We're going to be with other people in, in a right place and in right relationships. Think about it. The implications of being resurrected with other people is both exciting, wonderful, scary, and challenging. It's the bride of Christ. And here, let me go a step further. As, as we're going to be with other people who are resurrected, they're going to be resurrected. It doesn't mean they're going to be made right so now they can see things your way. You may be right so now that you can see things their way. There, there's, there's this resurrection reality that's going to take place in our lives spiritually. And for the longest time, here's the thing that I, I, I lived in. This, this was my definition of heaven for the longest time. And for a long time, it's been enough. It's still quite important to me, but I'm finding out there's so much more for all of us. But here's the definition I've lived in. Hey, here's what's going to be true about me in the new heaven and the new earth. I'm never going to fight anymore with this, this, this struggle that I have within me to be, to be what God's called me to be, to choose Jesus over myself on a daily basis. This battle I have with sin, I wish I could tell you I came to Jesus. It's gone. I came to Jesus, he took care of it, and I'm trying to make sure I'm living in the right space of that for the rest of eternity. And I get up every day fighting to be honorable before God, honoring him and not following me and my will. I can, I can and I can't imagine waking up one day and going, I got a lot more time on my hands. 
I ain't thinking about me so much. Can you think about that? Being resurrected spiritually means we're going to be set free from all of that. We're going to finally be in our right place and our right standing before him. We're going to be resurrected physically. I don't know if that excites you. It's starting to excite me a lot more. We're going to be resurrected physically. It means on the other side of heaven, there's going to be no tears. There's going to be no diagnoses. There's going to be no cancer. There's going to be no mental illness. There's going to be no issues on that level. We're going to be resurrected physically. We're going to have new bodies, resurrected bodies. We'll, we'll, we'll recognize each other, but this is going to be a new body. I've had some parts replaced this year. I'm looking forward to that, right? A new body, a new full body that does everything that God designed me to do. We're also going to be resurrected relationally. We're going to be right with other people because God's going to be making us right. The very righteousness that's ours that we seek to live out day in and day out and to believe that we are a righteous people before God is going to be what all of us are experiencing. So we're going to be in right relationships with other people. We can and we can't imagine it. And yet I'm starting to get excited about that. There's somebody in my life right now, I think, well, I've just given up. Like, oh, he'll have to have coffee with me in heaven because... He's going to, I mean, he's going to have to talk to me there. You can't avoid me in heaven, right? And yet here's what, here's what the reality is. If, if you're thinking that way, well, if that's true, Mark, then I'll just wait and deal with all those people there. That's, that's reading one chapter of the Bible, not the full counsel of Scripture. We're called to live differently. We're, we're told that the world will know that we belong to him by the way what? We love each other. So we're called to right relationship. We're called to be in right relationship with each other. We're called to live right before each other as far as it depends on you. And I, I, can, I acknowledge and recognize there's some things that you've done all you know to do. And right now, God's calling you to do no more. Okay. But there are a lot of areas in a lot of our lives we go, well, I'm just going to let that slide. And right relationship with other people starts with right relationship with us and Jesus. My go-to passage, I feel like every time I preach, I end up in Colossians chapter 3. It's probably my favorite chapter of the entire Bible. It just, for me, it, it, it nails it, drives it home for me. And, you know, I don't know if God's giving you a portion of Scripture, but no matter what, it seems like no matter what I'm speaking about, it applies. So if you think differently, you can talk to me after the service. But Colossians chapter 3, he says this, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. If I've been raised to life with Christ, and I have been, God's redeemed, rescued me. He's redeemed and rescued you. So therefore, then we should be thinking about things above. Imagine things above. Start thinking about the future. Thinking about Jesus at the right hand of the Father and what that means for us one day when we're resurrected with him. We should be thinking about things above. And as we think about things above, it has everything to do with how we live on this, on this earth, on this planet now. And if you read the, if you read the rest of... Uh, of Colossians chapter 3. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. He says, then live like this. And he gets real specific. And that list, if you go through it, it's pretty compelling, pretty convicting, pretty challenging. That's how we're supposed to live with each other. And when Christ returns, he's going to return and resurrect us relationally. I'll be right. Even as hard as I work this side of heaven, as hard as I try to commit myself to living at peace with all people, there will be folks that will finally have peace. We'll have peace between us. Other church people other church people on the other side. There was a time when I used to sing in church, not just in a row like you, but I actually did a solo or two in my day. <clears throat> not going to do it now. I wouldn't make the cut here, but I was in Jersey at the time, 15, 14 years old. The bar wasn't quite as high back then. And uh, I remember 
practicing this song. It was a cutting-edge Christian artist. Christian, Christian music was just coming out. We were just breaking out of hymnals, and some of you don't even know what those are. But we were breaking out of hymnals into, into current music, and there was a current artist. Her name was Evie, and I make fun of her now, but at the time, she was like all we had. And Evie had this song, and I don't remember the whole song, but I remember singing and belting it, because I practiced probably a, a thousand times to sing in church. Nervous as all get out. And I remember the middle line of this song was, if heaven, if heaven never was promised to me, it's been worth just having the Lord in my life. I remember singing that from my gut and believing it at 14, 15 years old, and I meant it. I'd rather die than sing that song again. I'd rather die than, than sing that truth again, because it's not a truth. If heaven wasn't promised to me, it's not been worth having the Lord in my life. If, if having the Lord in my life and having the Lord in your life was only to get me from birth to death, it's not been worth it. When, when I walked forward and accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, I didn't walk forward to have a temporal life. He said, have life and have what? Eternal life. I walked forward to see Jesus and know Jesus for eternity in this life and in the life to come. That's what's been promised to us. Folks, we're going to live in a real place, with other real people, and with the real Jesus. What do you mean the real Jesus? They're all real. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yes, all three are absolutely real. And yet here's what I want you to grasp. If, if you're not remembering and being mindful of the fact that Jesus Christ is fully God and is fully man, if, if you lose track of him being physically man, physically resurrected, you're going to miss the reality. When he comes back, it's going to be in a real physical sense. He's coming back in a real physical sense. We're celebrating Advent. The first Advent was when he first came. The incarnation, all the beautiful lights and candles. I love Christmas. I love, at some time, I'm sure a crash or a manger will appear. And he came as a, as a sweet baby. And it sounds really sweet and soft, doesn't it? It sounds very gentle to enter the world that way. But I've talked to women who've, who've given birth. It's not very pleasant, not very gentle, not very serene. It's pretty messy. And yet Jesus entered the mess, entered our world, stepped into our world, what? So he could rescue and save us from the mess of our lives, to offer us so much more. And here's my point. If we believe that Jesus came as an infant, as an infant, stepped into the world, God himself came in and I think the message says, moved into the neighborhood and dwelt among us. If we believe he did that, and for the reason that he did that was to rescue and save us, spiritually and physically for all of eternity, then folks, that's tied to the reality that when he returns, when he physically returns, it won't be in a little quiet city outside the skirts of Jerusalem. It's going to be in a place and a space where the whole world will know. It won't just be on a starry night. Jesus is going to return as Savior, King, and Lord in a way that the entire world will see. Every knee will bow, every tongue will profess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord. He's coming back, folks. This is Jesus, Emmanuel, a phrase that is so common to Christmas cards, right? I love it. Send me a card. Put Emmanuel in it. God with us. He is with us. He is with us. Remember when he came, <clears throat> he died, he rose from the dead. The disciples were afraid, like, what, 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 what does this mean for us? He goes, it's better that I go away. It's better that I leave you. Why? Because if I leave you, as I can be physically present with each one of you guys, as I leave you, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who will be with you, my spirit in you, present in you for all time and all space. You'll never be alone. You'll never be apart. You'll never be without me because I'm going to be with you. And so Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered and traded your life for his, then the Holy Spirit resides within you. That's a truth. That's the fact. That's who you are. Paul says, 
In Corinthians, he says, do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys the temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy. You're that temple. You might not feel like it today, but the truth of the matter is, if you belong to Jesus, the spirit of Christ himself dwells in you. That's who we are. We have his presence with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And he's kept that promise to be with us. And one day he's going to return. And it's going to be in, it's going to be in a space and a time that not only will he be with us spiritually, but he'll be with us physically. He said to his disciples as they were concerned about his leaving in John 14, Hey guys, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that we're I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you have known my Father. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. So notice here at the end of this, this passage, this vision that John is given by this angel, he goes back and repeats what he's said in other visions. However, this point must be made clear again in verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nothing unclean will enter this new Jerusalem. Nothing unclean will ever enter this, this new heaven and this new earth. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, folks. Heaven, the new heaven and the new earth that still awaits us awaits us, those of us who've given our hearts and our lives to Jesus. And those who haven't, those who've not bent a knee, those who've not bowed down to Jesus, will be lost forever and eternity. And, and that's the sad news. The good news is there's still time to turn. There's still time to choose. I don't know about you. I hope you can hear it in my voice. The more I think about heaven, the more I'm getting excited about it. The more understanding I have, I think my ignorance is being corrected day in and day out. The, the more I grasp, the more I understand, the more I, I, I get a fuller picture, the more I'm allowed to, to enjoy the moments that God's given us, me here in this place, and yet causes me to think in a way that I, I, I don't think I've thought before. I think we're supposed to practice imagining. We're supposed to practice imagining what will it be like when we're on a resurrected earth with the resurrected Jesus as resurrected people. What will that be like I don't think it's just ethereal and something to figure out later. I'll, 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 I'll find that out when I close my eyes in death. I believe God wants us to have a fuller picture now so we can have a fuller life now. I want you to do me a favor. Here, all of our venues, Bearden, Roan County, Amp, Blend, I want, you to I want you to close your eyes and bow your head right now. I want to ask you this question as you do that. We're going to, we're going to practice imagining. Think of the last time. When was the last time your heart was just at rest? where it was a good moment. You allowed yourself to feel delight. It was joy. Maybe just peace. I hope you have something in your mind right now. Jesus, we want to ask you, help us to imagine what heaven's going to be like in a real place as resurrected people with you, Father, with you, Jesus, fully resurrected. What will that look like? To know that that moment's not going to end. To know that that moment's going to give way to another moment and another moment and another moment. There's so much that you've told us about. 
and the forever life. And there's parts of it we can imagine. Other parts are still beyond us. Paul says in Corinthians, but as it's written, but no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. God, would you start to stir us up in our imaginations? As much as we can think and hope and believe, cause us to know in a very real sense you have so much more for us. We love you. We look forward to the day when we're fully present, fully present with you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Hey, as we move into this week, we'd be remiss. If you walk away from this passage and aren't asking this question, is my name in the Lamb's Book of Life? That's a question we ought to be asking ourselves. Is my name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Do I know Jesus? Have I, have I traded my life for his? Am I a follower of Jesus? Most of you, in the sound of my voice, are, are. You've made that decision, made that choice, but I know that I know that I know that there's folks in this room and the other rooms that are gathered here today that you've, you've been to church, you've heard it, you've experienced some part of it, but you've never, you've never actually transferred your allegiance and your loyalty to Jesus. Folks, this is the time. Jesus is returning in a very real sense. We're going to go to a real place, and we want to be together with you. I don't know what else we can do. We're praying for you. Those of you right now, who are listening to my voice, we're praying that God would corner you, that the hound of heaven would, would actually corner you, that, that, that his irresistible love and grace would be something that you just couldn't deny. But God will not force that decision. That's your call. That's your decision. And we're praying that you make it. For the rest of us, I hope this series continues to stir us up a little bit, to think on, to imagine, to have greater knowledge and appreciation for all that still awaits us. It's, it's right here. It's in the book. He's given it to us. I hope you'll spend some time this week in the live it out section. We're going to call you to, to spend more time in Colossians chapter 3 and Corinthians and Ezekiel and back in Revelation 21 and 22. It's, it's right there for you. Join the rest of us. I believe God will use the scriptures. The Holy Spirit will take the scriptures to continue to, to encourage and enlighten our understanding of, of the forever place we're all going to be together in. And the last but not least, practice. Every time, every time this week, if you can think about this, just let's start practicing this. Every time you find yourself laughing, enjoying a, a bite of food, seeing the lights, Whatever it is, wherever that space is, having a deep conversation, a connection that's, that's far deeper than, hey, how are you? But whatever that moment is where you feel like, in this moment, I'm feeling seen, I'm feeling known, I'm feeling joy, I'm feeling some sense of contentment. Allow that to stir our hearts to imagine what will that be like when we're resurrected with Jesus as resurrected people on a resurrected earth? Because folks, the day is coming. The day is coming. There will be a day when all will be made right. I'm looking forward to that day. I hope you are too. Across all of our venues, let's stand and worship that very day and the Christ that's going to bring it.